Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I have my Bible open to Psalm 55. It says, Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Doesn't seem like much has changed over the last several thousand years. I'm going to start by uh, talking to Rob Bluey, who's my Washington, D.C. correspondent. He's also the executive editor of the Daily Signal. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be on with you today. Thank you so much. Uh, let's start, if you don't mind, with this omnibus bill, or omnibus, whatever we call it. It's a 4,155-page document. Did anybody read that? <laughs> well, given how, how little time that uh, Congress actually gives the lawmakers to decide on these things, it would be pretty uh, remarkable if anyone did. I'm sure that uh, some staffers and, and the people who wrote it and the lobbyists on K Street in Washington, D.C., uh, certainly had their hand in it, Bill. But <laughs> for the most part, um, a lot of these massive bills that make their way through Congress uh, don't get the time and attention that they deserve, which is one of the reasons why you've seen so many conservatives speak out and talk about a return to regular order. And when when they talk about regular order, what they mean is the process by which we all learned about legislating and, and you know those uh, those cartoon skits on how a bill becomes a law. And yeah. usually it starts with a member of Congress introducing a piece of legislation, it going before a committee, having a hearing, uh, get, then getting marked up before it ever reaches the floor. And, and too often these days, it seems that legislation is written in a back room somewhere, uh, given uh, maybe 24 hours for lawmakers to consider it. And then all of a sudden it, it's uh, plopped out on the floor for a vote. And that is not the way that the American people want to see business being done. And it's probably why Congress has such low approval ratings. Mm -hmm. So the 118th Congress has had uh, 18 Senate Republicans go the with the Democrats regarding this bill, which helped get it through. Uh, it's a $1.85 trillion uh, spending bill. Is that something we can do given the inflation that we, we're dealing with right now? Well, we, we know that the, the short answer is no. We, we do know that inflation is caused by this prolific government spending. And we have seen, you know, to the tune of $6 trillion over the course of the, the last few years, both under President Trump and now under President Biden, a lot of it being classified as emergency spending and, you know, members of Congress saying that they needed to rush in and make these uh, these decisions in order to stave off, a, you know, a worse situation. Well, perhaps, Bill, it would have been wise for us not to shut down our entire economy uh, over fears of COVID. And maybe if we mm -hmm. had made some more rational decisions right up at the, at the at the front end and states weren't so restrictive in, in letting people go back to work and their livelihoods, we wouldn't need to be doing all of this spending. And what you see is uh, this, this situation now that's emerged in Washington where you have what, what we like to call the uniparty, 
Uh, those are the appropriators and the big spenders who get together. It doesn't matter if they have an R or a D behind their name. Uh, they are interested in one thing, and that's usually advancing interests either back home in their own community or, or doing the bidding of K Street lobbyists. And, and that's how you end up with massive pieces of legislation like this. But to the heart of your question, no, we can't continue to spend like this because it's only going to make the inflation problem worse. And as we saw from the Consumer Price Index numbers this month, that uh, or for last month, they, they are going back up. Uh, so the, the situation is not improving, as President Biden had promised. It's actually getting worse. And until Washington gets a control over the situation with spending, I don't see it improving a whole lot in the, in the near future either. Mm-hmm. Rob Bluey, executive editor at The Daily Signal, will take your questions. 877-933-2484. So, Rob, I want to talk about some pro-life issues, and I also want to uh, have you comment on uh, Bishop Raymond Burke, uh, Cardinal Raymond uh, Burke's firm but clear instructions to Catholic priests on when to deny someone Holy Communion and what your thoughts are on that. Well, Bill, I'm, I'm not a Catholic myself, so I mean, I will be speaking to you about this um, from, from an outsider's perspective, <laughs> but I, I do uh, think that, uh, you know, for, for Catholic politicians who are uh, of a certain political persuasion, and particularly on this issue of abortion, uh, go against the church's teachings, uh, that it is hypocritical for them to to do so, and the, the church should be able to set its rules. And if they can, if if they view this as a reason why you should not uh, take communion, then by all means, uh, look. I was at a funeral mass this weekend in a Catholic church in Washington D.C. Uh, you know, probably half the, the the attendees got up and took communion because they're in good standing with the Catholic Church. I didn't because I'm not a not a practicing Catholic. So you know, I I do think that it's it's up to the, the cardinals, the bishop, the, you know, whoever is making the rules. Uh, to, to, to set it. Um, I, I think that there's a broader issue here, though, and it just goes to the extreme nature of the Democratic Party when it comes to this issue of abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, you know, even even people like our own president, Joe Biden, who himself is a, is a Catholic, who not that long ago seemed to hold a more moderate view on, on this issue. But the, the party has become so radicalized by Planned Parenthood and others on the left that now anybody who steps out of line will find themselves uh, basically facing political extinction. extinction. Uh, that was certainly the case with the, the, some of the pro-life uh, lawmakers who've lost their seats by, by the Demo- in the Democratic Party be, being challenged. I think there may be one, Henry Cuellar of Texas, uh, pro-life um, Democrat uh, that, that exists in the United States Congress. I mean, even just a decade ago, that would have been unfathomable to think that they would have moved to that extreme. And so I think it's incumbent upon us as pro-lifers and Christians to make sure that we ask the tough questions of, of our elected representatives and, and really put the focus on, on the children and the babies first and foremost and ask why our future children uh, don't deserve the right to life. And I think uh, that's a question that so many of these politicians have a hard time answering. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church does teach that abortion ends the life of a human being and is a crime against human life. So that is their position, which I'm glad it is. Well, absolutely. And, and I think we need more religious leaders speaking out on this. Uh, I can I can speak from my experience. I, I, I told you I, I wasn't a Catholic. I, I, I go to the Episcopal Church. And I was quite dismayed 
that the uh, the bishop uh, made some comments after the Dobbs decision in June, which I found personally reprehensible, uh, particularly because this wasn't always the position of the Episcopal Church. And so upon doing some some research myself, uh, I said, no more will, will um, my family's uh, donations to our local church uh, in any way uh, go to support the uh, Virginia Diocese or the the National Church. Uh, they they will stay locally in in our own in our own uh, church and in our own community. And I, I made clear to our rector that that would would be the case. So I think that there are things that individually we can all do uh, to have an effect. It's one of the same reasons why I no longer give to my my alma mater because I the positions that it takes are diametrically opposed uh, to, to my, my political beliefs. And why should I support an institution like that? I'd much rather give it to a pregnancy resource center. In fact, that's, that's what, what my family has done. We've, we've sought mm-hmm. out those local community organizations. And I think that these are the things that we as individuals, Bill, can all do to help change this culture of ours in this country. Yeah, you're a good man, Rob Louie. So let me ask you, what did we learn from this year's March for Life? Well, uh, you know, just a tremendous outpouring. Uh, of course, this was a unique situation this year because of the Dobbs decision. Uh, for nearly 50 years, of course, the march was coming to Washington, D.C. and bringing people to the steps of the Supreme Court in an effort to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, that obviously happened in June. And so now they redirected their attention to the U.S. Capitol, where they are insisting on legislative action. And it's not just here in Washington, D.C., at a federal level, where they would like to see things like like the heartbeat bill or better um, enacted, they are taking their uh, focus to the states as well. So there are now state marches where there's probably a greater likelihood of legislative success taking place. And so, you know, it's just really encouraging to see so many young people come out for the march and to be involved in the pro-life movement. I think that, you know, the next generation is going to be strongly pro-life, not just because of the activism that we see today, but because of the changes in technology and the fact that we can all see on an ultrasound that that living, breathing, human being uh, in the mother's womb and it's not so abstract as it maybe it was 50 years ago. Yeah, I met a brand new baby uh, last week. And to think that an hour before that baby was born, it could have been, uh, her life could have been ended by a, uh, an abortionist. It's, it's Oh, that, that, that's right. Yeah, and it, it is unthinkable. And, and that's why it was encouraging uh, to see some members of Congress in the House, which you know has a very slim Republican majority, decide to you know participate and, and be active around the March for Life. Uh, I think we need to continue to put that pressure on. If if you are um, if you are somebody who's passionate about contacting your local representative, make sure that they they know that this is an issue that you won't forget about. And and I, I say that because we know that the forces on the other side are, are going to certainly ramp up their efforts as well. Uh, they are, this was an issue that I'm sure had an effect on turnout in the midterm election. And it's one of the reasons why Republicans did not do nearly as well as they had expected to do, because the Dobbs decision gave the left an opportunity to drive out turnout and, uh, and get people mobilized to vote. Mm-hmm. Rob Blue is my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. If you have a question for Rob, please text it over 877-933-2484. We'll be right back with more. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, 
Thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Rob and his son picked that theme song for him uh, coming out of the show, which I love. I always love hearing that. It makes me think, oh, I like hearing Rob Bluey's voice. He is uh, wise and measured and balanced. And Rob, I was looking at uh, the Daily Signal, dailysignal.com. I always encourage people to head over there. And it looks like the CDC is now got some diagnostic tool for school administrators to assess the LGBTQ inclusivity at the school. What more can you say about that? Yeah, Bill, I mean, it just gets more bizarre on this topic uh, as, as, as new, new things emerge. Um, yeah, I mean, it is, uh, it, it is now ingrained, it seems, in, in our kids' education, uh, you know, everything related to, to sex and uh, <laughs> the identity that, you know, uh, somebody uh, may have. I, I, I personally find it a, a appalling and, and frankly, uh, a decision that should be left at home and, and not administered at, at school in, in any way. I'm uncomfortable with, with teachers or, or other health uh, professionals having that conversation outside of a parent's purview. As a, as a father myself, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's inappropriate for, for schools to be doing that. So for the CDC, which already is reputation is in, in the, the dumps because of its poor work on COVID, uh, to step in and do this is, uh, is, is just really disappointing. Um, I will say also that, you know, this is an area where we have seen parents step up and fight back and have some great success. So uh, for your listeners out there who, who have doubts that we can reverse this, uh, look no further than, than my home state of Virginia, where, uh, you know, after 12 years of, of Democratic governance and uh, a strong uh, former governor who was running in the election two years ago, you had a situation where the uh, the Republican candidate, Glenn Youngkin, really mobilized around this issue of parental rights and uh, had a, a, a big impact. So I, I think that you can uh, push back, Bill, and uh, we need to if we're going to stop the government from really encroaching into our lives where they shouldn't. Yeah, and when it comes to kids getting an education, I, I certainly think this should be uh, not part of the curriculum and not part of the schools, but uh, no, nobody asked my opinion, which is fine. Well, and, and one other point, another story that my, my colleague uh, Virginia Allen has on on the issue of, of education in schools, which I, I think is is so critical, and it's something that we've we've written about before, but you know because it's um, fresh on on the, the podcast today, it's the issue of school discipline. You have you know increasingly schools afraid to discipline students. They are for for a variety of reasons. Um, it, the lack of discipline has led some teachers to resign. It's uh, harming other students' ability to learn. And uh, we have uh, a great interview with a, a teacher named Daniel Buck, who has uh, written a book uh, about what's wrong with our schools 
And, uh, you know, just encourage people to listen to that because from an insider's perspective, you really understand some of the challenges that are going on in society. And, I, and, and frankly, look, if, <laughs> if a kid misbehaves in school, I think that there's, there's an appropriate punishment uh, that, that needs to be given to that uh, student. Uh, otherwise, how do they learn from their mistakes? I mean, it, school, nobody's perfect, Bill. But, uh, you know, after all, if schools are really afraid to take some of these actions for, for you know, <laughs> being punished by the woke left or whomever might come after them, I mean, really, uh, what are we, we're not doing any, uh, any good service to our, our kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, Rob, this is something I'm kind of learning about for the first time, and this is the uh, public option, which is some program to try to rig the healthcare markets. What can you tell yes. me about that? Well, the public option is something that uh, the left has been pushing for, for years, I mean, under a variety of different names. I mean, it's just the, the latest iteration of government-run uh, health care. And you might remember during the, the big debate about Obamacare in uh, 2010, when you know President Obama was really trying to radically change the uh, approach to how we delivered healthcare in this country. Uh, the public option was was one of the things that was being discussed and debated. Uh, now, you know, there are a variety of of healthcare services that the government has its hands in already, obviously Obamacare being one of them, Medicare and and Medicaid being, being others. But I I think the one thing that's alarming uh, to a lot of us uh, who, 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 you know, see the left trying to encroach into this area of our lives is that, uh, you know, other countries that have experimented with government run or socialized medicine haven't yet, and necessarily um, deliver the results that, that patients want. You can look at Canada, you can look at the United Kingdom, and they don't have the freedom, they don't have the ability uh, that the United States does to, to innovate. Um, and so there are a lot, lot of complaints uh, you know, from, from citizens in that country. And so this public option where uh, you know, we would move in this direction is, is certainly not a choice that, that I would make. And I think it's something that uh, the free people of this country would resist as well. Mm-hmm. Rob, were you surprised that President Biden made a surprise visit to Ukraine? Yes and no. I mean, he was planning to go to Warsaw anyways for for a speech, which he delivered today. Um, So, you know, on the one hand, I think it was a little bit surprising given the security risks, although apparently they did tell the Russians in advance that he he was planning to do this. um, And he was on the train for, what, 10 hours or so uh, to get there. So, I mean, I think that the, the president is increasingly seeing foreign policy as one of the areas where he can try to leverage in a re-election campaign against uh, whoever his inevitable opponent will be in the Republican Party, uh, where he's had a lot of failures here domestically. We just talked about one of them being inflation, which, again, doesn't appear to be getting any better. He really needs to lean into the work that he's done overseas. And so uh, he sees Ukraine as an opportunity to to not only rally the American people behind uh, a country, but also, I think, uh, demonstrate his, his foreign policy chops. Um, and certainly welcomed with with open arms by President Zelensky there. So uh, you know it's um, what, what Russia is doing in Ukraine is is inhumane. It's it's, it's in, incomprehensible on some level that they have still not uh, retreated after uh, being so roundly defeated over the course of the past year, time and time again. Uh, certainly, they've scaled back their their ambitions in Ukraine. Uh, they just control, uh, you know, some territory in the east that's bordering Russia. 
But uh, that's still too much, Bill. And uh, the American people need to stand with the Ukrainians. And, uh, you know, we oftentimes foreign policy doesn't become a, a partisan battle. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's shaping up to be one in this regard because there are increasingly increasing calls from Capitol Hill to have more accountability, uh, for the president to pay more attention to some of the problems here at home, the border crisis being one of them, the chemical spill in East Palantine, Ohio being another. Uh, you know, there's a lot of criticism over the last couple of days that the president took a trip to Eastern Europe before he took a trip to the border or, or you know, uh, Ohio. So I think uh, rightly he deserves some of that criticism and he, he needs to address the problems that uh, the American people are facing just as much as uh, what the Ukrainians are. Mm-hmm. What is the update at the border? Well, not not good <laughs> on both mm. borders. In fact, uh, we have another story on the Daily Signal that's uh, looking at uh, incursions on the northern border. And in fact, Bill, uh, so far just in this fiscal year, which began on October first, we've had nearly fifty six thousand uh, cross the northern border. That's nearly as many as were encountered in 2020 and 2021 combined. So we hear a lot about the southern border and the problems that are going on there. But it apparently um, in, in your neighboring, you know, you're, you're close by in, in Minnesota there, uh, you're having uh, the problem in the north as well. So I, I'm not sure what exactly to, to uh, attribute this to other than the fact that, you know, when people hear that the borders are open, as has been the indication since Biden took office, uh, they're going to move in and, uh, and and take advantage of this opportunity. It's one of the reasons why Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, is facing calls for his impeachment, because he's done nothing to secure the border. He's made the problem even worse. And so uh, the fact that we're now seeing these reports coming out of the northern border, I think, are just another alarming statistic that, uh, that we need to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Rob, what else is on your desk that's getting your attention? Well, just a quick follow-up note on on that, Bill. I will say that uh, there are two reasons why every American should be concerned about this, not just in states that, that, that border Canada or Mexico. Number one is the drug overdose problem that's, that's ravaged mm-hmm. so many communities in this country. The fentanyl that's coming into this country is coming in through the border. Uh, we, we need to get a handle on that, but we can't really do that until we seal that border. And then secondly, the crime problem that's, uh, that, that's popped up uh, you know, in, in so many communities and the fact that you have these rogue prosecutors who are, are failing to enforce the law. Uh, that is, uh, you know, something that is is particularly troubling, and I think, uh, you know, deserves our our attention. Um, what else is going on? You know, uh, we, we're keeping a close eye on on a, on a lot of different um, stories that that are are, are popping this week. Of course, uh, you know, be remiss not to mention yesterday President's Day. And we have a brand new report out which looks at the names of schools. And we have found that increasingly schools are dropping patriotic names, uh, schools that used to be named after President Lincoln or President Washington or President Jefferson are abandoning those for uh, more, I guess, politically correct names uh, or or for, for other terms. And in fact, uh, there's been a significant drop. We looked at between the years 1986 and 2023 and found a significant change in, uh, in, in the, the, the lack of schools uh, having a kind of any patriotic symbolism behind them. And I think that's uh, discouraging, particularly as we celebrate uh, our presidents and, and, and George Washington in particular on President's Day. Mm-hmm. Good point. Rob, thank you so much for doing the show. Always great having you on. Thank you, Bill. Have a great week. Yeah, you bet. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. We talked about a whole number of things today, one of which was 
the abortion uh, concern, and, and I agree with a listener that said we should pray for uh, an end to the causes of abortion rather than abortion itself, and I, I agree. All right, we'll take a little break. When we come back, Aaron Treadway is my guest, and he has got quite a story to tell. He said, don't miss your life. That's going to be an interesting uh, conversation. We'll be right back with Aaron. Happiness and acceptance are pretty much measured by success, and many find themselves consumed with uh, pursuing success, and they end up feeling anxious and tired and depressed and oftentimes pretty unfulfilled in that whole process. Uh, My uh, guest today, Aaron Treadway, has written a book called Don't Miss Your Life, The Secret to Significance. I'm so glad to have him on and meet him for the first time. He's a, a pastor and author and speaker. He's also an athlete and a coach. He is uh, the lead pastor of Fellowship City Church and also vice president of the Ambassadors Football International. He's the founder and executive director of the Cleveland City Stars, a professional soccer team. Not to mention he has great hair. Aaron, how are you? <laughs> hey, Bill. Great to be with you. Yeah. You know, the, your book title got my attention instantly. And I'm so interested, as I know many are, to talk about uh, not missing your life and making sure that you hit for uh, significance and not just success. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I don't know anybody that wants to just kind of limp their way through life. I want to experience that John 10, 10, you know, abundant life that Jesus promises us. Yeah. So, but our world is obsessed with success. We love it. And we evaluate people based on their success. We put people in categories. So why do you believe that success, although obviously not bad in itself, shouldn't be the focus of our pursuits, our life's pursuits? Yeah, maybe, maybe like you, Bill, maybe you've uh, pursued success once, once upon a time in your life, you know, for a lot of my life, I was striving and my greatest goal or target in life was was success um, and the stuff that maybe I thought would go along with success. And, and the truth is I started to uh, obtain some of those things. So I kind of tried success, and, and it <laughs> is good. I'm not against success. I just think success makes a bad target for life, uh, that yeah. ultimately success on its own can't satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about happiness then. Should people be pursuing happiness as a goal? Because I don't know if I'm on board with that. <laughs> I think it was C.S. Lewis that once said, happiness is uh, dependent on happy happenings. And uh, I think that makes a pretty volatile uh, state of affairs. You know, if, if the things that are happening in my life uh, feel good, feel right, feel okay, then I'm, I'm happy. And if they don't, the happenings, uh, maybe I don't feel as happy. So 
probably shouldn't uh, make happiness your greatest goal either. Yeah, I think Lewis also said, Aaron, that happiness is found in your peripheral vision. When you are purposeful and doing what God has called you to do, you kind of pause and look to the left and look to the right and you go, wow, I'm really happy right now. Mm, yeah, that's good. Yeah, when it's when it's not uh, not your uh, ultimate objective. Yeah, but isn't success, uh, Aaron, just about like anything that has a little bit of an addictive nature? You get a little success and you want more, and then how do you get off that treadmill? Definitely, that's that was my experience at least. You know, I I was an athlete, like you said, and I've got a correction. I I was an athlete. <laughs> I'm, I'm not as yeah. young as I once was, <laughs> so I, I do athletic things still, but I am not as much an athlete anymore. But at one point in my life, I uh, I was, and I experienced some of those things and the success that goes along with, you know, I was a professional soccer player for 13 years, um, and that was a blessing in my life. And, you know, I tell people all the time, nothing wrong with success as long as success doesn't have a grip on you. As long as that's not the thing you're consumed with. And, and for me, I, I was actually a goalkeeper in soccer, so I never liked running that much. <laughs> uh, but but mm-hmm. when you pursue success, it's kind of like you're running on a treadmill and you just can never get off because no matter how much you get, it, there's, there comes a time where you just feel like I, I still need more. And, you know, it's kind of like the, the next iPhone. You know, it's great for a, a month or a year even, but then inevitably you feel like, i got to get a new phone. And it's actually this psychological uh, phenomenon called the hedonic treadmill, where, mm. you know, ultimately we have a desire, and so we pursue it, and hopefully we get that thing and we satiate the desire. But over time, uh, our, that satiation, that satisfaction we feel with obtaining that goal it, it wanes, it dissipates, and it leaves us always feeling like we've got to get something more. So, you know, the question I pose in this book is, what is that more? Like, how do we actually live that life overflowing? Aaron Treadway is my guest, and you might have left a few listeners uh, on the side of the road when you said hedonic treadmill. Is that hedonic come from the word hedonism? Oh, I don't know. Actually, it's uh, okay. It's, I know it's a psychological term, so okay. it could. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know if that was a pursuit of of things that are pleasurable, and and, and you look for things to temporarily satisfy, and then you're looking for your next temporary satisfaction. Um, but let's shift our our focus to significance, because that is what we I really want to talk about today. Is significance should be our target and. How do we pursue significance? And if you could go back to your 13 years of playing professional soccer, with significance in mind, how would you have done things differently? Yeah, I, 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 I'll tell you what I, I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have stopped playing soccer <laughs> for, for a long time. And here I'll tell you why I say that. Because for a long time after I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I thought I had to change my profession to pursue my, to pursue my purpose. Uh, you know, I, I thought that, you know, I couldn't, how could I be a professional athlete and serve God at the same time? And, and, you know, now I'm a pastor and, 
what I've realized is so many people, we feel like, you know, I can't serve God where I'm at. And, and I think it's actually the opposite, that, that God has placed each of us in different spheres of influence for his purpose, for his glory. And, and we're, we are there uh, on purpose. Mm-hmm. So, Aaron, I mean, I, I know you played professional soccer and were a coach, but you also got a little bit out of your comfort zone. Didn't you climb Mount Kilimanjaro? Don't you like your couch? my idea, Bill. <laughs> I did yeah. do that, but it wasn't my idea. It was my, my dad, who was 73 years old at the time. That was his idea. And oh uh, six hours did he go top, with? he decided to leave me. <laughs> if that wasn't his idea, uh, he, he got a little pre-hypothermic. They didn't tell me it was going to be negative 50 degrees on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. So, like yeah. I said, not my idea, but I did make it to the top, and, and the Lord did teach me some things. Yeah, I can't imagine. What's the view like from up there? Yeah, that's the thing that you never forget. You know, that's the thing that, you know, it, it makes it worth it. But I, I just remember, like, getting up there 20,000 feet into the air, and there's the oxygen is thin, and, and I'm praying, Jesus, help me just take one more step. And right. I think sometimes in life it's like that, you know. We, we need to depend on the Lord just for one more step, for one more day. Um, and that's what it was like on top of Kilimanjaro. But the, the view does make it worth it. I, I always think you get to the top and you, you would be so cold and so nauseated and you would think, would you even enjoy it? Or would you kind of do the, uh, you know, Chevy Chase looking at the Grand Canyon thing and go, okay, let's go down. Have you climbed a big mountain, Bill? No, I haven't. It, you, that description makes me feel like you have. <laughs> because that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. I got up there, and even though I'm describing the view as majestic, I had this overwhelming desire to get down as fast as I could. <laughs> um, funny. All right, let's. Um, I love what you said in your book, and Aaron Treadway is my guest, and the name of his book is Don't Miss Your Life, The Secret to Significance. Um, is Jesus uh, based happiness on being blessed rather than being successful? So, Aaron, what does that tell us about God's will for our lives? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I think that uh, for a lot of my life, you know, we've been talking about this. I I, I thought that, uh, you know, some of the things of the world, whether it was money or maybe a house or a car or, you know, having 2.5 children, I don't know, but just having some of those things would make me feel uh, full and satisfied and, you know, give my life purpose. And when I read the scripture, uh, I, I, I don't think that Jesus is saying anything against those things, but I think you see a totally different paradigm or equation on how to know a life of purpose and fulfillment. And, and for me, it really is to orient ourselves around the things of God, to make um, the glory of God our greatest goal, our greatest pursuit. It reminds me of Isaiah, it says, all men are like grass, and our glory, like the flowers of the field, the wind blows, and our glory is gone. And as mm -hmm. an athlete, that was a hard thing to hear. <laughs> Wait a second, I thought this was about me. I thought this was about, you know, the number of goals I could, could score and, you know, my fame. 
And reading the scripture, it is very clear that we don't exist for our own purposes. Mm-hmm. So, Aaron, as a goalie, did you ever take one to the face? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Uh, yes. <laughs> Plenty okay. of times. I, I, I would assume so. All right. In your book, you talk about success sickness. I don't know exactly what you mean by that, but uh, are there ways to prevent that success sickness or maybe even recover from it if you've suffered from it? Yeah, I I think that the challenge, as I, I talk to different people about this whole idea of living a life of significance, is that we don't know how addicted to success we actually are. And so as I was writing this book and I was talking to different people, you know, and, you know, I know different athletes and different people. And, you know, I once saw Jim Carrey stood up and he, the, the actor, the comedian, he won this award, uh, the Golden Globe, actually, best male actor in a motion picture. He stood up, he said, I wish everybody could get rich and famous, get everything they ever wanted so that they could realize it's not the answer. <laughs> and, you know, my own story is a little bit like that. Um, You know, I started to get some of those things that I really, really felt like was going to make life rich and feel full. And I I, I started to realize maybe those things aren't the things that satisfy. And so I came up with this little uh, success sickness kind of survey, you know, like, let me try to help you figure out how addicted to success are you actually? Um, Because like I said, most of us, we, we don't think that we are. Mm-hmm. Even serving the Lord, you you want to feel uh, like you're having some success. I'm saying that word carefully, uh, Aaron, because you, you want to see God producing fruit in your life. So you're kind of, in a way, hoping to see uh, God use you in ways to change lives, and, and that's a wonderful thing. But in the back of your head, are you thinking, are you making a difference or not? Yeah, I think it's a good point, because... You know, I, I was a, a missionary in and through soccer for, for two decades. And some of the most, at least what I would call successful missionaries that I ever met on the field, they were ministering in the Islamic world where if they led one person to Christ, man, they, that was overwhelming success. And maybe in the eyes of the world and maybe in the eyes of other missionaries, they would say, Warren, I led, you know, a hundred of the Lord today, you know, <laughs> one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it does beg the question, you know, what what should our metric for success be? You know, and, and maybe more important, what is God's metric for success in our life look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And I will expect an answer from you when we come back from break. So there's a lot of pressure on you, Aaron, in the next 90 seconds. Just so you know. Aaron Treadway is my guest. is. His book is Don't Miss Your Life, The Secret to Significance. We'll take a short break and be right back. Thanks for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Carmen LaBurge. If you enjoy what you're listening to here, consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine. Search Mornings with Carmen LeBurge at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe.
My guest is Aaron Treadway. He's written a book called Don't Miss Your Life, The Secret to Significance. He's had quite a career, a professional soccer player for 13 years, and his soccer has uh, taken him to over 150 countries. And he once lived in Outer Mongolia. What was that like, Aaron? (laughs) Smelly. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I not surprised? Well, what you don't realize is, number one, Outer Mongolia is in Siberia. So it's really, really cold, even in the summer. Uh, when, I, when I visited there, I lived there for, or stayed there for a month. I don't know if I lived there, but I stayed there for a month, and I lived in a, a yurt, which uh, is actually quite biblical. Uh, the Apostle Paul actually made these. They were they're just nomadic tents. You know, they're pretty big tents, and you know, where when you're in Outer Mongolia, it's uh, it's like freezing cold even in the summer, and so you burn cow dung every three hours. You've got to set up a rotation. You wake up, you put some cow dung on the fire, which is in your yurt, and so you can imagine what you smell like. Oh boy! Plus, then you got to follow the cow around. <laughs> yeah, you got to somehow curate the dung, right? Yeah. So. Let's get back to the significance uh, discussion because I was going to get some profound answers from you on that because I, I, I think we all should be pursuing significance and not success uh, because God decides what is successful in our life. If we are significant, we will look back with no regrets. Yeah, I think we were posing that question, you know, what, what is that ultimate metric Uh, look like in our lives? How do we, you know, say, you know, this was successful or this wasn't? And it it makes me think of that story uh, where Jesus is led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Matthew chapter four, and, you know, you might be familiar. And I I think about this all the time because I feel like this is is my own story. You know, the, the devil, Satan wants Jesus to believe that that he is what he can do. You know, he, he brings him out there and he's like, if you are really the son of God, then go ahead and, and tell these stones to become bread, right? Like, I am what I can do. And that's the message that I got from the world, you know, for a lot of years. You know, if you save the goal, if you, you know, if you, you make the shot, then, you know, great, you're celebrated. And if you don't, do the deal. If you don't raise the kids the right way, if you don't, you know, put put it in, put whatever answer you want in that box. So, you know, I think one of the lies of the enemy today, uh, it's pervasive in our culture that we are we are convinced that we are what we can do, and that is mm-hmm. not what uh, what the Word of God says about us. Um, you know, we are who we are in Christ, and, and so I think for me, you know, the the path to significance is not as complex as, as, you know, we might believe. Um, we shift our, our focus, our target onto significance. And, and really, for me, it's, it comes down to three simple things. It's to become rich, but in the things of God. Make mm-hmm. becoming rich in the things of God your greatest pursuit. Make becoming rich in the things of community, going deep in relationship one with another and with our Heavenly Father. Um, and, and lastly, uh, shifting that the focus from being here for me and myself and me alone to uh, to others. Like, how can I live to give my life away? 
Mm, so good. Aaron, here's something I learned from your book. Psychologists say that you have a personal happiness baseline. It's inherent. It's fixed. Mm. It's impenetrable. So here's the good news and the bad news. No matter what happens in your life, you will return to your personal happiness baseline. And that's what psychologists say. Happiness is a predetermined condition that fluctuates circumstantially for a time. But I love that uh, following Jesus uh, means that blessed in his most famous sermon uh, means happy and God intends for us to enjoy life. God wants us to be fulfilled, satisfied, and quenched. I like that. Mm. James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. That that stumped me for a lot of years, Bill. <laughs> you know, Jesus is say, saying to us that we should have joy in our trials. And I, I don't know about you, but I've had a fair amount of different trials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is a difference between joy and happiness. And I think a lot of us know that joy is only found in Jesus, the true joy. Uh, yeah. But the great thing about joy, is it doesn't fluctuate like happiness does. You know, even though psychologists say that we have this baseline of joy that we will inevitably return to, um, joy is something that, uh, that we can access as followers of Christ when you are in Christ. Uh, we have access to all joy every single day. Mm-hmm. Aaron, are we distracted from our significance with the busyness of everyday life? With kids, chores, cleaning stuff, fixing stuff, being on hold with customer service? Uh, is that all one big distraction from significance? You know, I think there's a lot of great things that that, you know, we could do each day. Lots of good things I do every single day. Um, So are we distracted? Uh, I think some of us are. Um, Mm -hmm. I read this statistic maybe about 12 to 18 months ago, but it it really like made me stop in my tracks and just had to think about it. It, it, The statistic says that 60% of American adults say that they are too busy to enjoy their life. And, you know, I got to confess that some days that is definitely me. I'm running here and there. I've got young kids. I'm married. I'm pastoring a church. I'm trying to lead a a nonprofit. And, man, I'm just busy. Uh, But I don't think that busy is always best. I, I would agree. But I appreciate your schedule, and I appreciate all that you're doing, and I understand that it would eat up your day pretty fast. Your time is very much accounted for. So um, staying focused and staying on track and making sure you're pursuing significance and not success will probably in the long run produce success. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't think we have to to worry too much about that. I think that as we are focused on the right target, um, Mm -hmm. and, and I really do believe that significance in Christ is is the right target. When we are existing in all the spheres of influence that God has allowed us to be in and placed us in, when we exist for His glory, His significance, you know, it's interesting. Success has a a funny way of kind of just following along. And it might not look exactly the way that we thought it or drew it up to be, but uh, inevitably it does satiate, it does satisfy these deep longings that we all have. Mm-hmm. Aaron, do your kids like soccer? I'm I'm thankful to say they do. <laughs> <laughs> I 
are they on teams or are you coaching or how are you participating in their soccer? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. I, uh, I was recently off standing on the soccer field coaching my six-year-old son. And I think he was five at the time, but, uh, uh, most recently I was coaching a, a team in the South Korean professional league. And so this guy came out and he was watching me coach these six-year-olds, five-year-olds. And, uh, he said, Hey, Aaron, uh, weren't you coaching in Korea last time, these professionals? I said, yes. He said, man, you've really fallen from grace. <laughs> five-year-olds now. And, but I got to say, I, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. I, I love coaching my son and his little team. And yeah, it's a great journey. Yeah. So uh, we just have about a minute left here. And God is a giver and we should be giving our life away, right? Yeah, that wasn't always my mantra, but uh, I really do believe that it is uh, a more blessed life to to give than to receive. And God promises that a generous person will prosper with blessings. That comes right out of Proverbs 11. And generosity, no question, no doubt about it, is the gift that keeps giving. Amen. I often challenge people, see if you can outgive God. Yeah, good luck with that. You know, just just try to outgive try to give more of your time than God can give back to you. Try to give more of your your finance than God can supply. It's really hard to outgive God. Mhm. And where can we find out uh about how to get a copy of your book? Should we just head to Amazon? Yeah, Amazon is is a great place these days, erintreadway.com. Uh really anywhere books are sold. Okay. Aaron, thank you uh, for taking time today on your very busy schedule to uh, talk to us. Absolute pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. Aaron Treadway has been my guest. His book is called Don't Miss Your Life, The Secret to Significance. We'll take a break, and then we come back. Uh, Dr. Bob Moeller is joining the program. He is a graduate of Asbury Seminary, and he attended Asbury in 1970, just after that first revival, and he's there right now, uh, and he's going to bring us a full report on what's going on at Asbury Seminary. That's all coming up next. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Bob Moeller. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.